All right, I don't, I don't think a year ago that Brittany thought she would be leading us in Spanish worship songs and singing them herself. And I don't think that Lexa thought that she would have to be interpreting for me on a Sunday morning. But that's how God works. So as uh, Ernesto has Phineas, and he's there to support uh, Renee and the baby, he's going to take a month off. And Brittany and Isabel are stepping up. And then Rebecca, she's actually in Houston this week, weekend to see family. And then Lexa, everything's because of babies. Then Lexa is filling in. Melanie was on the schedule. And Lexa stepped up to fill in for her. Uh, which, which is an amazing and a daunting and an overwhelming task. Lexa told me I had to use real small words. But you guys, please, as we go through this, be patient with us and be gracious with myself and with Lexa, um, as this is her first, first time, her inaugural time interpreting, and uh, we'll be thoughtful of that. But thank you, Lexa. Um, let me pray for us before we start, and then we'll get right into God's Word. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for who you are, uh, for the God that you are, Father, that you are mighty, that you are strong, that you are sovereign, God. Lord, you are infinite. Lord, your ways are so much higher than our ways, and your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts, Father. Lord, and despite all of that, Father, you are gracious and you're merciful. Lord, you're kind and you're compassionate. Lord, you have sought us, you've pursued us. Lord, you sent your Son to die for us. Lord, so that our relationship with you could be made right. Lord, that is mind-blowing. Lord, that you are such a great God. And that you care so much for us. Lord, I pray that this morning would just be a response of faithfulness, Lord. A response of praise to the kind of God that you are, Father. And that you have called us your sons and daughters, Father. And that you have invited us to participate in your sovereign work. Lord, and I pray that we would raise your name this morning. That it would be about your name. That it would be about your fame in this place, Father. Lord, we just commit this time to you and ask that you would be lifted up. Lord, this is about you. It's not about us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are back in Nehemiah. It's been a couple weeks as we had the posada. But just the brief history. You know, i got to talk history. So Nehemiah is writing this letter. It's a personal memoir or a journal that we're reading into in these first seven chapters of what he is writing down. And he's writing at a time that's 141 years after the Jews were sent into exile, after they had to leave Jerusalem and go to Babylon. And he's writing 92 years after... Cyrus came and allowed the Jews to return back to Jerusalem. So it's been 92 years since they've, been, since they've returned, and then it's been 71 years since the temple has been restored. But yet, since those 71 years, all that time that they've been back in Jerusalem, what did we find out? The people are in great trouble, and the walls are broken down, the gates are destroyed. It's still a mess. It's been 92 years, and it's still a mess. 
Nehemiah was moved. He was stirred by the Spirit. He went to the king. And he requested to return. He's like, I want to go back. Let me go back to the land of my father's graves. I want to rebuild the walls. I want to rebuild the gates. And so Nehemiah goes back. We looked at, he inspected, he reviewed. He, he, he looked firsthand what was going on at the state of the people and the state of the place. And then he went to the people and said, let's build. Let's rise up and build. And I want us, I don't want us to miss the focus of Nehemiah. Because if you read something or you hear from someone say, what's the focus of Nehemiah? Well, it's a building project. Or you would preach Nehemiah when you want to build a church building and you want to get people behind it. Or Nehemiah is all about construction. It's all about leadership and how Nehemiah uh, coordinated all these people and what a great leader he was. And I would tell you guys what I see. It's about God's name. And so as we go into chapter 3, we're going to do the entire chapter 3 today, 32 verses. And I don't want us to read it outside of the context. Because we're going to read this and you're going to say, all this is, is a bunch of names that were next to some other names, that were by this gate, that were building this wall. They were by these other names that were by this gate that were building this wall. And it goes through and it lists them one after one after one. All right, but this, it's not just this list of names. It's not just this list of construction sites and this, the, the focus of each construction site and what they were building. But because of that perspective, sometimes we tend to skip over these lists of names. We tend to skip over these things. And if you look at commentaries and you read some commentaries, they actually, they don't even mention chapter 3. They just kind of skip over and go from chapter 2 to chapter 4. But if we believe that God's Word is inspired, if we believe that it's beneficial, if you look at the next verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, if we believe that God's Word is breathed out, that it's profitable for teaching, it's profitable for reproof, for correction, that it, it, we need it for training in righteousness, then we can't really skip over chapter 3. I'm not going to let us skip over it. It's a list of names, but God has placed it there. He's inspired it to be there by His Holy Spirit. It's there. And as Paul was writing these words, he's referring back to specifically this Old Testament, which Nehemiah would have been a part of. He's like, it's profitable. It's good for us. And so there is a reason, there's a purpose in us looking at chapter 3 in this list of names. So it's not just a construction site and a list of names. But because we believe that, that it needs to mean something, sometimes we try and make Scripture something it's not. We'll read through a passage like this and we'll try and come up with these very spiritual or these very magical or sometimes hidden meaning. I was meeting with Andy last week and I'm like, if, so, if I tell you that something is so deep that you have to, it has to have magic or this hidden meaning, I'm like, run away from me. Don't listen to me again. I was like, the, the Bible is not something that's going to magically appear to us. So there's not something amazing behind it that only certain eyes can see. God has written to us. He's communicated to us. He wants us to know Him. But we need to take it in context. And so what as I saw as I started to study this, the people that didn't skip over it, they want to talk about the spiritual progression of the gates. As it talks about these construction sites and it talks about all the places where they were building the wall, they start to go into this spiritual progression of the gates. This is a picture of Jerusalem. And you see the gates. Everywhere where there's a gap in the line, that's a gate. 
and people will talk about this, and you see at the very top here, here's the fish gate. And they say, well, the fish gate represents that we need to go out and we need to be fishers of men. And then they get to the, where is it? This is the valley gate. Here it is. The valley gate, that represents humility and that we need to lower ourselves. And I'm like, what? And then they get down here to the dung gate, which is what it sounds like. This is where they dump the trash. And they're like, well, that for us, it means that we need to take the trash out of our lives and replace it with something new. And I'm reading this and I'm like, I read back my Bible, I'm like, where do they get that from? Like, that is not the context, that is not the meaning, that is not the purpose of what Nehemiah was writing. And those things may be spirit or biblically true, but that's not the context of this passage. And so I don't want to give you guys something that's not in the context of the passage. So it's not just a construction site, but it's not magical or spiritual. It's about God's name. And so as we read this chapter, this is about what they were doing and it's connected with building His name. This is the action of building His name. This is the action of restoring and rebuilding God's name in this place. And so I want us to read it with that in mind and understanding that really what's connected to this, the very context of this, is verse 17 and 18 back in chapter 2. Alright, and it's been two weeks since we've been here because of the posada and then talking about the opposition that we would encounter. But if you look at verse 17 and 18, I want to read that first in English and then Lexa in Spanish because I want us to have this context as we read chapter 3. So chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah comes to them and he goes before the people and he tells them about the situation. He communicates the situation and saying, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. And who is he talking to? Who's the them that he's talking to? It's if you look back at verse 16, it's the priests, the nobles, the Jews, the officials, and the rest were who, to, who are to do the work. It's everyone. Everyone is included. I talked about this before. No one is excluded. He's talking to all the people, and all the people are going to be a part of this building project. We're going to see them all in chapter 3. All of the priests, the nobles, the rulers, the Jews. We're going to see them all in chapter 3. We're going to hear their names. And that idea of everyone is included. Everyone is a part. But not just that we're all a part, we all have to participate, but we're all part of the brokenness. We're all part of the destruction. We have to identify with that. I talked about we have to live here in this neighborhood. Not necessarily physically live in this neighborhood. Some of us will physically live here, but we all have to live our lives here. We all have to identify with the people here. Identify with the brokenness. Identify with the destruction of the place. We have to be willing to do that. Everyone is included. And after giving them the communication of the situation, he gives them this direction and motivation. He tells them, come, let us build the wall. We're going to build this wall of Jerusalem together so that we will no longer be a reproach. They don't need a handout. They don't need a hero. We don't need an outside consultant. We are here. Let's come together and let's build this wall, partner with the people in this place, and build this wall and repair these gates. And he says, so that we wouldn't be a reproach. So that we wouldn't be the cause of God's name 
suffering derision here. We wouldn't be the cause of God's name not being made famous here. We don't want to be the cause of the reproach. And after telling that, he says, remember that this is God's sovereign work. Here's the situation. Here's what we need to do. But remember, this is God's sovereign work. He says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, in verse 18, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Building the walls, rebuilding the gates, that was a part of God's sovereign plan. God wanted to do that. God was going to move through them to do that. God was about rebuilding this place. Nehemiah and the Jews participated in that. They were just a part of what God was doing. This wasn't Nehemiah's project. This wasn't the, Jeru- the Jews' project. This was God's project. This is what God was doing. And he says, look, God is sovereign. He's over this. He's in this. He's moving in this. Let's participate and be a part. So we have to remember that. And then he says, rise up and be resolute. He says, let us rise up, let us rise up and build so that they strengthen their hands for the good work. He says, get up. Let's be committed to building God's name here. Not sit back, not be self-centered, not be centered on ourselves. Let's actually get out and work with our hands and do the work of God. Let's be part of His sovereign work. Let's be committed to it regardless of the difficulties, regardless of of what will come our way because it's directly related to his reputation. What you're about to do, what Nehemiah was urging them to do to build this wall is directly related to God's reputation. So let's get up and let's be committed to it. So that's the focus of Nehemiah. That's the focus of this chapter 3. Again, it's his name. So we look back at verse 9 of chapter 1. I just want to convince you guys but this is not just a list of names. Okay? I want you to have all of this in your head as we look at this list of names. Look back at chapter 1, verse 9. This is the theme verse. This is the main verse, the, the thesis of, of Nehemiah. He says, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and I'll bring them to the place that I have chosen and I'll make my name dwell there. If you guys come to me, if you return to me, if you're obedient, if you obey my commands, if you walk in the way that I've asked you to walk, then I'm going to make my name dwell in this place amongst you. God has gathered His people, but His name wasn't, wasn't, being, well, his name wasn't dwelling there. They'd been back for 92 years, but there was still brokenness, there was still destruction. He says, I need you to be faithful. The walls had remained broken. They had remained destroyed because they were not faithful. They had not been about what God had asked them to be about. They were not keeping His commandments. We saw before, that's why Ezra came back, to teach them the law, to ask them to walk in these ways. But yet they were faithless. And the walls had not been built. The walls and the gates would be rebuilt through their faithfulness. If they were faithful, the walls and the gates would be rebuilt. If they were faithful, God's name would dwell there. You see how those two things are connected. And so for us, if we're faithful, God's name will dwell in Lanark Park. It's not if we're faithful, maybe His name will dwell here. It's not if we're faithful, there's a percentage chance that His name will dwell here. If we return to Him, if we are obedient to Him and walk in His ways and we submit to His Word, His name will dwell here. 
His name will dwell in Lanark Park. That is a promise that we can take home, that if we will be faithful to Him, He will be faithful to us, and as He is faithful to us, that's making His name dwell here. We have to believe that. We have to believe that that's what God promised. We have to believe that that's what God communicates. He says, if you're faithful to me, I will be faithful and make my name known. And I sometimes, I don't believe that. Sometimes I am at my house or looking out the window and I'm like, no, it won't happen. It's too much. It's too big. It's too difficult. But God says, if you're faithful, if you return to me, I will build my name. It will dwell here. And we need to trust God for that in Lanark Park. His name, His reputation will be made known if we are faithful. And so that's what this is. This is their immediate faithfulness to rebuild the walls and the gates. Their faithfulness was rebuilding the walls and the gates. And God's name would dwell there. Our faithfulness would be to be neighbor-focused in this place to be church-centered, to be gospel-driven. If we are those things, God's name will dwell in this place. And what we're focusing on now is that neighbor focus. We're focusing on what it would look like for us to be neighbor-focused, to rebuild the walls and the gates in this neighborhood. Because it's about faithfulness. And faith always involves action. And this is the initial description of their action. Nehemiah had returned. Nehemiah had inspected. Nehemiah had gathered them together. He had gotten them fired up. They said, let's rise up, let's build. But then they actually had to come to the point where they put it into action. And this chapter 3 is the initial part of their action. They rise up and they build. Their faith is being made tangible. And so as we read chapter 3 now, I want us to read it with that perspective. This is their faith being made tangible through what they were doing. And as they did it, God's name, He promises, will dwell there. As they're faithful to Him, He'll be faithful to them. Everybody with me? That's a long introduction. It's as long as the body of my message. <laughs> All right? But, but I don't want us just to read this as a, a list of names and construction site. This is, the, this is the tangible demonstration of God's people being faithful. And we get to read it. We get to see it. So you guys hang with me. I'm going to read chapter 3 in English. And then Lexa in Spanish is 32 verses. And what I've decided is some of these names I can't say, so I just say it quickly and act confident that I'm saying it correctly. But you guys bear with me. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Elishib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur, the son of Emri built. The sons of Hassanai built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshelshezebel, uh, repaired. And then, and next to them, Zadok, the son of Banna, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Malatiah and Gibeonites, and Jaden the Maronathite, and the men Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. 
Next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malkahai, the son of Hiram, the Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of the half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanum and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkahad, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth. Hakarim repaired the, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohose, ruler of the district of Misbah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shalah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethshur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him the Levites repaired, Rehum the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kelah, repaired for his district. After him their brothers repaired, Bavai the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Kelah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mitzvah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishib to the end of the house of Elishib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hasut. Uh, Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest, the priest repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite to his house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkihad, son, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, into the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. You guys may be saying, oh, we just read all that in English and Spanish. Yes, we did. I want you to be overwhelmed with the amount of workers, with the amount of work. Like that is extensive, what was going on. But this was their faithfulness in action. This is when they got to it. Nehemiah came. Nehemiah instructed them. Nehemiah directed them. Nehemiah motivated them. And they went to work. They rose up and they began to build. This is their faithfulness in action. 
And so we're going to look through this, not verse by verse, I promise. We're going to look at this as a whole. We're going to look at a few different parts. But I want us to look at their faithfulness and action. And there are four things that I think it is. Okay, their action, their faithfulness and action, it's comprehensive. Okay? It's also coordinated. It's also collective. And it's also collaborative. Alright? It's comprehensive, it's coordinated, it's collective, and it's collaborative. Those are some characteristics of the work. And so we're going to walk through those pieces and just understand this work, understand their, faithful, their faithfulness in action. So it was comprehensive. Nothing, nothing was overlooked. If you guys look, the work was all-encompassing throughout all of Jerusalem. This describes it, or it shows. Everything, every word that you guys can't see because it's too small is a landmark or a gate that he mentions here. As he talks about this person and this son next to this family, next to this merchant, he starts at the very top here with the sheep gate, and then he works his way counterclockwise throughout the entire city. He gets down here and he talks about the people's houses and across from their house and where they worked. He comes back up on the east side of Jerusalem and then comes all the way back. And he starts at the sheep gate, he ends at the sheep gate. He encompasses the entire city, all of the work that was occurring, everything that was going on. It was all-encompassing. It was holistic. He didn't leave any part out. It wasn't just sections of rebuilding. They were rebuilding the entire thing, all the walls, all the gates, the entire wall of Jerusalem. Because what if sections would have remained in disrepair? The city would have been vulnerable. The city was only as strong as the weakest part of the wall. If the gates were not rebuilt, the city wouldn't have been, been functioning with the activity that it was created for. It wouldn't have had the commerce. It wouldn't have had the trade. It wouldn't have had the transportation in and out. It also wouldn't have had the security if all of the gates had not been rebuilt. So it had to go around the entire city. It had to be complete. You think about if they would have repaired uh, the walls and the gates immediately surrounding the temple. You could say, oh, the temple at the top, the northern part. Well, that's the most important part. Let's repair the walls around the temple. And let's repair the walls around the 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 gates around the temple so that it can function properly. But what if they left the dung gate at the very bottom in disrepair? Well, the temple would be nice. The temple would be protected. But the trash would build up in the city. They'd have no place to take it out. They couldn't function. They couldn't operate as they were intended to if the entire city, it wouldn't have been addressed holistically. One part of the city could look great. Another part of the city could have been a trash heap. But they addressed everything. They addressed all parts of it. And I want us to think about that um, as we look at this. This is a diagram. I show you guys this diagram of Jerusalem, but this is a better diagram. This is, this is created by our very own Josh Howard. Look at that. I mean, it is amazing. So this is just part of the planning that went on. It, this is comprehensive. This is, this, in, this is encompassing, right? This is the Lanark Park. This is for the Posada at the rec center. And you guys can see, here's where the, the parking lot's out here. Okay? You enter in this door. Josh addresses every section of the rec center. All right? <laughs> there, here's, here's the east door, the kitchen, the pinata zone, the, the, uh, another east door, the games, the crafts, the office door, the stage, the food. Everything is there. It's completely comprehensive. Every part of the rec center had a purpose. Every part of the rec center was addressed. There was nothing that was left out. It was all-encompassing. 
When I looked at it, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but when it came to Posada Day, I was like, where's that, where's that, where's that diagram? I want to see that diagram. I was, I'm so thankful for the diagram. And I think that we have to be willing to look at Lanark Park that way. We have to be willing to look at our neighborhood everywhere, every part, every section. We can't just look at the parts that, well, that's what I want to work on, or that's what I think needs help. We have to go where there's a need and address it. And we have to look at the entire neighborhood in every section, in every part, in every aspect. We can't ignore parts of it. We can't just focus on the parts that make us feel good about serving. We have to focus on it holistically, and it has to be comprehensive. Just like Jerusalem was looked at, the wall around the entire city, we have to look at this entire neighborhood from top to bottom, from left to right, everyone that's here, every system that's here, every structure that's here, what's going on in this place, all of the relationships we have to be concerned about. Where there's a need, we must to address it. So their faithfulness in action, their work was comprehensive, but then it was also coordinated. All right? Uh, I think we could write Nehemiah, and it would have Josh Howard instead of Nehemiah, because this is a logistical masterpiece. All right? I was reading this and studying this, and I just kept thinking about Josh, kept thinking about his planning. You guys have seen his emails. You've sat in his meetings. You've seen him break up the teams. You've seen him give the diagrams. It's a logistical masterpiece, and this is what Nehemiah has done. All right? He's coordinated all these groups based on logistics. But let me show you, this coordination of the groups are based on logistics. Look at chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, just to give you a little section so we can understand this. It says, Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Verse 9. Next to them, Repahiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedediah, the son of Harumaph, repaired opposite his house. This is one little section, but we see this repeated. He makes these distinctions. He has these teams based on a few different things. One is based on their families, based on their households. He says, the son of, the son of, the son of. They were gathered together in these family teams. Some, they were based on the occupation or their function. You see here, there were these goldsmiths that were gathered together. There were these perfumers that were gathered together. There were these rulers that oversaw and were gathered together. So based off their family, based off their household, based off their occupation, based off their function. And then you see in this as well, sometimes it's based off of the geography. In verse 10 it says, opposite his house, the son of Herumaf raised or repaired opposite his house. So logistics were taken into consideration. And then the focus of their work, wherever they were, based on these groups, based on their teams, they had a focus for each of these groups, an area that they were responsible for. If you look at chapter 3, verse 3 through 6, let's just read that. It says, The son of Hesaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And then you see this starting in verse 4. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, Son of Haggai's repaired next to them. And it goes on next to them, next to them. And then it gets down to verse 5. And it says, next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. And then in verse 6, it says, Joiah, the son of Pesiah, and Meshulam, the son of Bosiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah, which is the old gate on our diagram. So you see in this section, he starts with the fish gate. Here's a landmark. 
And then next to them, next to them, next to them, next to them, next to them. And then he goes to this next gate. All right. Here's the section that these families were focusing on, and they were next to each other, next to each other, next to each other, focused on this specific area, focused on this part of the wall, focused on this part of the work. Back to the posada. We had team after team after team. Everybody was focused. Everybody was grouped together based on how they could participate, based on their skills. And they were put in teams. So this is your focus. You focus on this, and you focus on that, and you focus on this part. And so as you walked in the gym, I could see... I don't know if you could say focus, but here's the piñata. <laughs> Ernesto was focused on that. Josh was focused on that. Then you go over to the, to the games, and here's, here's Rafi, and here's Frank, and you go over to the crafts, and here's Brittany, and she's focused on that. And you go over to the, to the, the concert, and you've got Isabel, and her folks are focused on that. And you go over to the sound, and Sergio and Tim are focusing on that. And then to the food, and Nidia and her team are focusing on that. Gina's talking to everybody. And then you go right outside the door, and Lex is outside, greeting people, focusing on that, praying, having her friends around her. Larry's handing out cards. Everybody was focused on something. Everybody had a section that they were responsible for as we did this work for the Lord. Everybody was in a team. Everybody was connected, and we were side by side by side. Everyone working, everyone focused on what had been put before them. It was based on logistics. It was based on these geographic landmarks. And that was there to make sure there were no gaps. There was no place in the rec center where something wasn't happening. We were shoulder to shoulder. Everyone focused on the work, and there were no gaps. We were there working together. Nehemiah and the Jews, they were there working together. They had this plan. They were all focused on the task before them, and there were no gaps between them. The entire city was taken care of. The entire wall... They were, everything that it encompassed was being worked on. So not only must our neighbor focus be comprehensive and coordinated, but we're also going to need everyone. It's going to be collective. Everyone participated. If you look back to chapter 2, verse 16, those are all the people, the, the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were doing the work. Chapter 3, we see them all here. They're all there. The Jews, the officials, the nobles, the priests. They're all there. They're all working. They're all part of a team. They're all focused on what's before them. They're all connected. There's no gaps. No one is exempt from rising up and building. No one is exempt from rising up and doing God's work. We're not exempt based on our status. If you look there, in verse 3 of chapter 3, it says, the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built. Huh? Oh. In my notes, it's 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> Hold on, I'll tell you what it is. Don't listen to me. 3-1. Uh, 3-1, three, one. Three, one, sorry. It says, Elishib, Eliashib. The high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built. The religious leaders weren't exempt. They were the priests, they were focused on the temple, but they came out of the temple and they were working on the walls. They came out of being, in a sense, church-centered, and they were neighbor-focused. They had to do both. They were a part of this work. This is what God was doing, and they were going to be a part of it. And actually, they were the ones that led by example. They got out there first. They started the work. And then you see, I hope it's in 3.9, you see the rulers, right? The high officials, the political leaders, the rulers in Jerusalem, they weren't exempt either. 
If you look at verse 9, it says, Next to them, Repahiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. This is a guy that's over half the district of Jerusalem, and he's out picking up rocks and rebuilding the wall. He was not exempt based on his status. And then if you look in chapter 3, verse 8, people weren't exempt because of their skills or their lack of skills. It says, Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. These were perfumers and goldsmiths. I don't think they were construction workers, and yet they were out with their hands on a wall, lifting rocks, part of a team, doing the most amazing construction product, project that had been done in the last 92 years. They're all out there participating. This was not what they were trained in. This was not what they were skilled in. They're perfumers and goldsmiths. There's no perfume, there's no gold on the wall. But they fully participated because there was a need. And they fully participated because this was the work that God was doing. And as I looked around the posada, I get to pick on Emmanuel and he's not even here. But my brother-in-law is there. He is a group sales manager for the Westlake Hyatt. He crosses the hill, he goes and works in Westlake, he manages group sales and talks to people all nicey, all day long. I like, what in the world is he going to do for a posada in Lanark Park? And then you see how God uses him. You see how he's able to coordinate and get sponsors and go talk to people and use these skills. Even that he uses in Westlake with the hotel each day, he's able to come here and talk to sponsors and coordinate and get people to support us. He's able to stand up front and MC in a sense and make everyone feel welcome. He's able to walk around the room and smile and talk and chat in English and Spanish. God used him in an amazing way. I just watched as I sat back and watched each of you And I'm like, wow, if you knew who he was and what he does each day, you'd say, how in the world is God going to use him at a posada in Lanark Park? It doesn't make sense, but God used him. He wasn't skilled, but God used him. You guys I was just waiting to say that one part. (laughs) But how many of us, we dismiss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be neighbor-focused, to reach out, to build relationships, to engage, because we say, I'm not qualified, I'm not skilled, I'm trained in something else, not in being in relationships with people that sort of speak my language sometimes. How many times do we dismiss ourselves and disregard this opportunity where we see God is at work here, He's doing something here, but you know what, I'll let somebody else do it. That's a lie, Okay? It's a lie. God will use you right here. God will use you in what He's doing. He doesn't need you to be skilled. He is skilled. He doesn't need you to be full of strength. He's full of strength. He'll do it. All right. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on Him. And if you're here, He wants you to be a part of the work that He's doing. He wants you to be a part of His name being made known. So they weren't exempt based on their status. They weren't exempt based on their skills. And then they weren't exempt based on their stature. Those who were seemingly unable, they weren't exempt. Look at verse 12. And I say this in a cultural context, okay? Verse 12, he says, Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. If you were Hebrew and you were reading that, you'd be like, what? Who? 
his daughters? Then this is a construction project. Okay? And this guy has got his daughters out there. Okay? Daughters would not be been considered to be able to help with building a wall. They definitely wouldn't have been expected to help. But there they are, serving and working. They were, in a sense, unable, but there they are, serving and working. God used them anyway. God had a place for them. And I was at school picking up my kids and Linnea, and her kids go to our school. And I'm standing there, and she walks up to me, and she's asking about the posada, because she wasn't able to be there. And I found out that Daniela, or Isabella, had been sick. Isabella had a fever. They couldn't go. She's like, but I was there praying. I prayed the entire time that you guys, the posada was going on. I was at home praying. How did it go? She couldn't be there. Her daughter was sick. She had to care for her daughter, but she was still there. She was still participating. She was at home praying that it would go well, praying that we would represent our king well, praying that God's name would be made known. She couldn't go, but she was still a part of it. That was so encouraging to me. She was so excited to hear about it. I want to know what happened, so tell me all the details. Because I was praying about it. I'm invested. I want to know what was going on. I was playing my part. I couldn't be there, but I was playing my part. And so we have to think the same way. Because again, how many opportunities do we dismiss? We say, well, I don't have the strength. I'm tired. I don't feel it. No one will expect me to do it anyway. So I'm just not going to do it. That's a lie. Get over it. Both those are lies. Get over it. God has a place for us to work regardless of our skills, regardless of our status, regardless of our stature. And you see here that the only people that are exempt are the ones that exempt themselves. As you look at verse 5, he says, Next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. It literally means they wouldn't lower themselves, they wouldn't bend their necks down to serve. They kept their necks up stiff. They had humility issues. They're like, this isn't the work for me, as they understood the work, as they understood what God was doing, and that He's going to rebuild these walls and these gates, and it's going to be a construction project. I said, I'm not interested in that. That sounds like difficult, hard, humbling, humiliating work. I'm not going to do that. And they kept their necks up, and they refused to stoop. They refused to lower their necks and get to work. They were the only people that were exempt because they exempted themselves. And I will tell you guys that some people will leave. Some people have left. They'll hear, like, so this is what you guys are going to be about. You're going to be church-centered and you're going to be neighbor-focused. You're going to be working in this neighborhood. You're going to be working with these people in that place. And you're going to be working in these, this gate and that gate and this part of the park and these people in this situation. Yes. And as they understand that, they might say, not for me. Not for me. I'm, I, I'm not going to serve that way. And that's going to happen. And we need to be prepared for that. It happened with Nehemiah. He was an amazing leader. This is something God was completely doing and God was completely in. And yet there were people that says, not me. I'm exempting myself. So we have to have that in mind too. Because their faithful, faithfulness in action, their work to rebuild God's name was comprehensive. It was coordinated. It was collective. And last of all, it was collaborative. They were partnering with each other. And ultimately, they were partnering with God. If you read through, open your chapter 3, and you'll see next to, 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 next to. The literal translation is it by hand, by his hand, by his hand, by their hand, by his hand. 
It's this picture of that they were positionally next to each other with their hands for the work that was in front of them. They were shoulder to shoulder to shoulder building the wall, but they were all forward with their hands on the work. They were next to, next to, next to, next to. As I said, there wasn't a gap. They were all collaborating. Imagine this wall of people lifting stones, repositioning stones, restoring the walls, restoring the gates. Next to, next to, next to, next to. Throughout the entire city, encircling the entire city, everyone building, everyone focused on what was in front of them. But next to, next to, next to, shoulder to shoulder. Not on our own, not isolated, but together side by side. And as I sat there on Saturday night, it was crazy because I got in there and I realized I didn't have anything to do. And at the moment, that was the most encouraging thing that I had sat back in a little, in a way and watched you guys work. Watched everybody step up, watched everybody participate, everybody played a part. And I'm like, well, what do I have to do? What do I get to do? Who am I supposed to talk with? What team am I on? And I just stood there and I had my phone and I put it on video and I began to do just this panoramic. I was standing over in front of the stage and I just did this panorama of the entire gym and circled around. And I saw this next to, next to, and next to. There was Lexa at the door greeting people and next to her was Larry handing out cards. And next to him was Ernesto and Josh under the piñata and next to them was Rafi and Frank doing the games. And next to them was Brittany. And next to them was Grace and Lesia, who gets the Academy Award. And Jovan and Melissa putting on this play. And next to them, all of our kids participating in that. And next to them, this, this place where we put on this concert with Isabel leading us and, and Josh and, and Ernesto. And next to them was the, the sound guys and uh, people from the neighborhood. Tim, Sergio. And next to them was... Uh, next to them was... Uh, Hold on, Gina was there serving the ponche and next to her was Nidia and next to them it just kept going on and on and on. And I was just amazed to look at the work that God was doing and how we were there standing shoulder to shoulder encompassing this place in a sense, encompassing this neighborhood focused on the work in front of us building relationships, loving our neighbor being neighbor focused. I just sat there. I'm like, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to sit here and I just want to soak this up. I just want to look and see what God is doing. Because it was amazing. It was amazing to see God at work. And we get to participate in that. Because that's the aim. That's the hope. It's His work. It's His vision. And as you see throughout, next to, next to, next to, next to, the other thing is, they repaired, they repaired, they repaired, they repaired. They were next to each other, repairing. They were next to each other, restoring this wall, restoring these gates. This action of repairing was their work. That was the action of their faith. For me to respond in faith, for them to be faithful, was to repair. And it is not much different for us. It literally means to strengthen. Not to start something, not to create something, not to remake something, not to be fully responsible for something, but to strengthen and repair. And that fits our vision as a church. 
We talk about reconciled and reconciling. That we have been repaired, that our relationship has been restored with God the Father, that that has been made right through Jesus Christ, and as a part of that, then we're to go about and we're to bring other people into this reconciliation so they can be made right, so they can be restored. And then we're to have these horizontal restoration with the relationships around us in this place. We say that every week, and it ends with what? Reconciled and reconciling in this gospel-centered community. The gospel must be front and center in everything we do. Whether we're church-centered for the moment or whether we're neighbor-focused, the gospel is what's driving us. We have to result. The gospel is driving us and we result in this gospel-centeredness. So whether we're in Lanark Park, whether we're gathered here as a church, the gospel is what's driving us. And it drives us in both places, but we have to be about both. That's our vision. That's what should drive us. That's what we're repairing. So the action of their faith, their faithfulness, was rebuilding the walls and the gates around a city. The action of our faith, our faithfulness, will be neighbor-focused, building relationships in Lanark Park as we proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to participate in God's sovereign plan in this place, to make His name known in Lanark. And just think about it for a minute. These people, they got their names and the Bible for picking up rocks. They are listed here. Their families, these perfumers, this goldsmith is listed here because they picked up rocks and they participated in the building of this wall. And we get to be a part of God's story by being neighbor-focused, by being building relationships, by engaging with people here, by having posadas as we proclaim and as we demonstrate the gospel. We get to be a part of His story. We get to participate in His work. That's what God has for us.